Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Anesthesia Learn on the Go podcast series from the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology. In these episodes, we will provide a high-yield clinical review of some of the common topics encountered by anesthesiologists at all levels. The following episode will be recorded by a member of our department at UK. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at UK Anesthesia and subscribe to the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology YouTube channel for our video cast. Now fire up your headphones, relax, and let's talk anesthesia. Hey everybody, this is Zach Klinger. Um, I'm one of the PGY4 residents at the University of Kentucky. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in today. Um, I've decided to do a podcast on pain pathways and pain physiology. It is not everybody's favorite topic, but it's something that I enjoy um, reading about, learning about, and hopefully um, we can teach you something today. Um, this is just kind of going to be a broad overview, not too detailed, um, but hopefully helpful for ITE-related testing um, and also basic and advanced tests. Um, so hopefully uh, just a nice quick overview, um, again, of pain physiology and pain pathways. So I think it's first important to uh, define pain and kind of get an idea about what pain is in order to really be able to talk about it um, and how it's transmitted in the body. So everybody has their own idea of pain. Um, it's a very subjective experience as we know as healthcare providers. Um, it's often difficult and, and difficult to really um, understand pain when you have patients who you know, you wake up from sleeping and they say their pain's a 10 out of 10. I think it's really difficult to appreciate pain um, as it is this very subjective experience um, that only the person experiencing it um, really knows, you know, what's going on. So um, in terms of a definition, it's pain is defined as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage described in terms of such damage. It can be considered multidimensional um, with sensory, cognitive, emotional, and motivational aspects. And we all know this, especially if you spent any time in a chronic pain or interventional pain clinic, you understand that uh, depression and, and some of the psychological impacts of pain can be very far reaching um, and can impact people's lives day to day. It's often, you know, those, those things kind of go hand in hand. And, you know, as we understand more about pain, and the related issues and disease processes, um, you know, pain clinics are, you know, kind of getting at that multidimensional experience and, and actually having pain psychologists and other people who deal with pain in the clinic um, to kind of treat patients both um, from a pain standpoint, but also from a psychological standpoint, just due to the fact that these things are so closely related. There are a couple broad categories of pain. Again, this is not all inclusive, um, but some of the main categories that I think of are nociceptive and neuropathic pain. So in terms of nociceptive pain, we're talking about things such as tissue destruction, which is very common after surgery, um, inflammation, obviously any injury causes a lot of inflammation. Somatic pain from things like joints, torn ligaments, um, stretch or strain muscles, and then also tendon pain. Um, visceral pain is also considered nociceptive, which can occur after surgery, uh, anytime you're having 
you know, bowel surgery or anytime they're moving organs, you can get a lot of visceral pain or discomfort afterwards. It's, oft, it's often um, poorly localized pain, um, but it is considered nociceptive. Um, neuropathic pain, again, can be things like um, neuroma, which is just a benign growth of nerve tissue. Radicular pain is considered neuropathic. And then sympathetically mediated pain is also considered neuropathic pain. So how does pain get from the periphery to the brain where we perceive it as pain? Um, there's a couple terms and definitions that are often asked about on exams or tests, which are important to know and kind of be able to discern between. Um, the first is transduction. So what is transduction? That is the process by which noxious, noxious stimulus um, or stimuli are converted into an action potential propagated by neurotransmitters. So this is basically the conversion of a noxious stimuli to electrical activity uh, at the nerve endings. The next step is transmission. So after the pain signal or stimuli um, is converted into an electrical activity, it is, is transmitted or propagated along um, the, the pathway, typically the spinothalamic pathway um, and ascending in the spinothalamic pathway to the thalamus. Um, perception is another area that um, we're often asked about. So what is perception? And that is actually the effective and the motivational aspect of the pain pathway. So this is um, the thalamus to the somatosensory cortex, which is where um, we actually process um, the noxious stimulus within the limbic system and can actually uh, and elicit emo uh, an emotional response. Um, pain or another area of this um, kind of process or pathway is modulation. So pain can be altered either from a, an inhibitory standpoint or excitatory fashion. And this can change the pain pathways. And we can talk about, or we'll talk about one of the most common ways um, that this is done. So just talking a little bit um, in more detail about these different areas of the pain pathway. So transduction, again, the electrical activity or the noxious stimulus um, converted into the electrical activity. So that is, is, is all that transduction is, is just the conversion of that stimulus. So you step on a nail or you, you stub your toe, that being converted into electrical activity is defined as transduction. From that point, pain is transmitted or the pain pathway is transmitted to the spinal cord by um, nerve fibers, typically either by myelinated type A fibers or type A delta fibers specifically, um, which is responsible for fast pain um, or cold sensation. This is typically at a speed of three to 30 meters per second. Um, another pain pathway or another pain fiber is the C fiber, which is associated with slower pain or warm sensations. And, you know, just um, to kind of give comparison, um, again, the A delta was three to 30 meters per second. The C fiber is 0.2 to two meters per second. Um, so, you know, one fifteenth the speed of, of what the A delta fibers are. Um, there are multiple chemical mediators, including arachidonic acid metabolites, 
such as prostaglandins and leukotrienes, as well as norepinephrine and glutamate that are all playing, you know, play a role in the transduction and transmission of pain. So these A-delta fibers and C-fibers um, head towards the spinal cord and synapse in the substantia gelatinosa um, at rexid laminas one, two, and five. Um, this is where there are multiple opioid receptors too. So opioids work um, in this area. Pathways uh, typically decusate and ascend in the contralateral spinothalamic tract. Um, and this is the second order neuron of the pain pathway. Perception, like we talked about or mentioned earlier, is the affective or the motivational aspect of the pain pathway. So the spinothalamic tract ends and obviously goes from um, you know, the spinal cord to the thalamus. And then the thalamus to the somatosensory cortex is defined as the third order neuron. Um, and then the peripheral noxious stimulus is processed within the limbic system. And this is where we get the emotional response. So the limbic system is, um, is, is responsible for the emotional response that we get from pain. So again, like we talked about, these things go hand in hand. Um, the psychological aspect of pain and depression are very closely related um, due to the limbic system and the perception of pain. Modulation is something that can occur throughout um, the pain transmission um, or pain transduction, um, you know, throughout there, depending on what you're talking about. So these can be inhibitory or excitatory um, changes or modulation of the pain pathway. The most common or one that we're probably all very familiar with is the gate control theory of pain. And this is an example of modulation. Um, the gate control theory was first proposed by Melzack and Wall back in 1965. And essentially this is the stimulation of other pain fibers such as, or not necessarily pain fibers, it could, it could be a delta fibers, but um, typically I think about a beta fibers, which are responsible for things like touch, pressure, um, can be responsible for vibration and proprioception. And um, so stimulating these fibers can actually inhibit the processing of pain through C fibers. So you essentially um, close the gate on C fibers. This is what happens when you know, you're a child and you, you stub your toe or you fall and scrape your leg. Um, and that, that is how we get the, you know, your, your parent or somebody will rub your arm or, or wherever the injury occurred, you can rub near there and actually um, stimulate these A beta fibers. So um, that is closing the gate on the C fiber pain fibers. So what happens when, when things go wrong in this whole process? Um, there are a couple things called central sensitization and the wind-up phenomenon, which is very closely related to central sensitization. Um, but these are issues that arise when things go wrong in this whole process. So central sensitization arises from issues with the nerve ending and how pain is processed. Um, nerves are actually activated in aberrant fashion and pain thresholds can be altered. So you reach a pain level or your pain uh, you know, pain is processed or activated at a lower threshold. So a lower input can cause pain, um, and that is central sensitization. Hyperalgesia 
and allodynia can ensue and may lead to chronic pain syndrome. So we'll talk about some definitions of hyperalgesia and allodynia here in a little bit, but that can happen with central sensitization and you can get chronic pain syndromes. Again, the wind-up phenomenon is very closely related. And um, essentially, you think about the normal pain processing. If a stimulus was, is repeated over and over again, an individual should feel the same amount of pain with each exposure. So if somebody or your brother would you know, be punching you in the shoulder over and over again with the same amount of force, the pain should be the exact same each time. Um, however, in windup, the level of pain actually increases with each stimulus due to a damaged nerve or an activated state of nociceptors. So with each stimulus, the response is more and more. So it actually increases in a synergistic fashion, which is abnormal from normal pain processing. Some other really important definitions that were often asked on exams, such as ITE or the basic exam, um, are things like the definition of allodynia, which is pain provoked by a stimuli. Um, they're typically not painful. So light touch on your arm, or if you just brushed a, a, you know, a feather on someone's arm or something like that, and this is interpreted as extremely painful, that would be defined as allodynia. Dysesthesia is an abnormal sensation. So sensations of things like bugs crawling on your skin, or if your hand was on fire, um, this would be dysesthesia. Hyperalgesia is an increased pain response at a normal threshold. So something that should not be painful or shouldn't be extremely painful becomes extremely painful. And this again is, is kind of very closely related to central sensitization. Um, algesia itself is the absent, analgesia is the absence of pain perception um, to a painful stimulus, while anesthesia is the absence of all sensation to any stimulus. Um, neuralgia is the pain in a nerve distribution, and then radiculopathy is the functional abnormality of one or more nerve roots. And then just to kind of um, round things out here. I just have a couple questions, just three multiple choice questions that I thought were interesting and um, you know, really do a good job at kind of bringing everything together uh, in terms of pain processing. Um, so between C fibers, A delta fibers, and A beta fibers, which of the following is correct with regard to velocity of conduction? So a, is it A delta fibers are faster than C fibers are faster than A beta fibers, or C fibers are faster than A beta fibers are faster than A delta fibers, or A beta faster than A delta faster than C fibers, or A beta faster than C fibers faster than A delta fibers? I'll give you a second to kind of think about it. Um, so the answer is actually C, which is A beta fibers are faster than A delta fibers are faster than C fibers. So a couple things to think about when um, you get a question like this, this is common questions for things like ITE, but um, simply put, it, you know, the, the speed of transduction or the speed of transmission of these fibers is in alphabetical order for one. So, a beta because is, is before A delta, is before C fibers. Another way to think about it is when you are um, trying to activate the gate control theory of pain, 
and activate those A beta receptors, those, those are faster. So the, the A beta fibers are faster. So they are the, the fastest. So they're gonna be faster than the A deltas and faster than the C fibers, which is why the gate control theory works. Um, so just a couple things to think about. Obviously, this is a question that you just have to know um, the speed of conduction. Um, and you can think about things like myelinization and um, you know, fiber size and things like that. But that is a, that's a lot of memorization that is not probably necessary for um, these exams. So the next question, uh, to which Rexid lamina do most nociceptive neurons send signals? So A, is it uh, Rexid lamina four and six? B, is it one, two, and five? C, one, and seven? Or D, three, four, and seven? And I'll give you a second to think about it. So this is one that we talked about. Um, typically, C fibers send signals to lamina one and two, while A delta fibers send signals to lamina two and five. So the answer is B, uh, Rexid lamina one, two, and five are where most nociceptive neurons send signals. And then the last question, uh, which of the following is true regarding pain and age? So which of the following is true? Pain threshold increases with age. B, pain tolerance increases with age. C, different regions of the body, for example, the head versus the foot, demonstrate similar changes in pain tolerance in older adults. Or D, different pain modalities, such as heat versus pressure, demonstrate similar changes in pain tolerance in older adults. I'll give you a second to answer. So the answer is actually A. So pain threshold increases with age, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, so threshold, which is defined as the level at which pain is perceived, actually increases with age. So it takes older people more input to reach the threshold to cause pain. Um, so said in a different way, younger people are more sensitive to pain. And then interestingly, pain tolerance actually decreases with age. So in elderly, it takes more to reach that threshold, but the tolerance um, is actually less. So that is older people. In younger people, it takes less to reach the threshold, but their tolerance is higher in relation to older people. Um, with regard to answer C, in terms of body regions differing um, with regard to tolerance, in, in elderly, uh, body parts with actually with more innervation such as fingertips undergo greater changes over time. And then with regard to pain modalities demonstrating similar changes, um, different modality profiles actually change differently over time. Um, but both of those are kind of beyond the scope of our talk today. Um, so thanks again for tuning in. Um, I appreciate your time. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to us via email at learnonthego at uky.edu. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts as well, on Instagram and Twitter, UK Anesthesia. 
from all of us at UK Department of Anesthesiology, have a great day.